0: Welcome to the Couch Potatoes, I'm Brett McGarry. It is an exciting weekend for the Couch Potatoes because we can finally go back to movie theaters. However, that didn't stop Jeff from still making his way to the movies.
1: I'm Jeff Braun and yes, I did what Dominic Toretto would have wanted and I saw the new Fast and Furious movie at the drive-in. And we'll preview a big new movie
0: that's out this weekend and tell you about a big one that's now available on Prime.
1: It took a year and three months longer than originally planned, but I finally got to see Fast and Furious Part 9. So how do y'all want to play this? Crank it all the way up.
0: Man, we messing with magnets now? Yeah! Whoa. That's what I'm talking about. We supposed to stop that? Hold on!
1: G13. F9 brings back most of the gang or family for another insane adventure where one-time street, revel- re- street racers and low-level thieves display superhuman strength and abilities to overthrow Bond villain level bad guys. The big twist here, of course, is this time the bad guy is also family, quite literally. So it's just always, always, always about family. Unless you're The Rock, and Vin Diesel is jealous of your popularity, and you are effectively cut out of the family. I'm being facetious, but it's also true, and frankly, I think the biggest flaw of the movie is that it does suffer from a lack of Dwayne Johnson. And it's only more shameful knowing that it's just because those two guys don't really like each other. I don't know that they view each other as enemies or anything, but apparently they prefer not to work with each other, and we, the audience... Or get screwed by him not being in the movie. The Rock brought so much to the series, starting in Fast Five, and personal grudges aside, the decision to splinter off to make that Hobbs and Shaw movie, I think it was a bad move as far as the overall series is concerned. Hobbs and Shaw was pretty entertaining, although I do like it less with each rewatch, and the opposite is true of the other eight Fast and Furious movies, so I wish they would have just kept them in the main fold there. As for F9, it is fun, but it is not in the top tier among the series. I won't even begin to get into the plot of it all because it's the same as all the others, pretty much. They go after a bad guy via a series of increasingly ludicrous set pieces. The set pieces are great. There's a chase scene at the beginning that I think is probably the best part of the movie. All the stuff with the magnets, we heard them talking about magnets there in the clip, is just terrific. It's very clever and something we haven't seen before for so that kind of adds to the fun and there's something at the end that would probably be seen as a jump the shark moment if the series had not already jumped the shark a decade ago a few weeks ago when we were talking about the series as a whole brett you lamented the increasing use of cgi and i would second that it doesn't seem like a lot of the effects here would be practical ones which is just too bad but that's what comes from continually heightening the action every time out i think it's good that they only have one movie left to go although it will be a two-parter and honestly there's only two things i can think of that would heighten it at this point either do that crossover with jurassic park that people have been joking about or bring back paul walker's character uh I, i think they i actually think they will do that at the very end because the technology's there they've kept the character alive so why wouldn't you bring him back also it's becoming increasingly clunky to explain why he isn't in on the adventures anymore especially this time because his wife Mia is along for the ride on this adventure. And she does that because she's Vin Diesel's sister and the bad guy here is their brother Jacob, played by John Cena. Cena does a better job than I would expect. I've gone back and forth on his abilities as an actor in other movies, and I think small doses of comedy seem to be his strength, but he fits in well enough here. However, the last two bad guys in the Fast and Furious saga were Charlize Theron and Jason Statham, so Cena still feels like the undercard. The whole movie sort of does. It's a little half baked, and I really think it's because uh, Chris Morgan did not write it. Now, he wrote all of the movies from the third one, Tokyo Drift, on until Hobbs and Shaw, and that guy had the secret sauce. He added an, an earnestness to the proceedings that made you take it seriously to more of a degree than you should because it is also silly. He added some actual emotional stakes that just really aren't there this time, even though there is a legit family connection between the good guys and the bad guy. And speaking of Tokyo Drift, uh, you know, that's where we first met the character Han, who was killed off, brought back as they rolled back the timeline and killed off again, and now he's back again. The explanation is uh, very in keeping with the series because Han is not the first character to come back from the dead, and it was good to see him again. He's also not the only returning character. The movie has a ton of returnees from other adventures. Some play a significant part, some are just in for a scene and gone again, but it plays to the excellent world building that they've done over the years. Tyrese Gibson as Roman and Ludacris as Tej, that continues to be the comic pairing that makes watching the movies worthwhile on its own. They're very funny. And now that we're nine deep into the movies, into the series, Roman makes a lot of very meta comments about all the adventures they've been going on. There's some of that in the trailer, but it's a much longer running commentary or gag throughout the movie. It's good stuff. The sort of thing you can really only do after, you know, making movies together for 20 years. So there's a lot to like in the movie, even if it'll probably be ranked among the lower entries in the series. Again, the lack of The Rock and the change in screenwriters hurt the movie more than I would have thought. Hopefully they can get both those situations sorted out for the grand finale in uh, Fast and Furious 10 slash 11. But this one's still pretty good. Three and a half couch cushions out of five for f9 brett
0: okay a couple of questions you say that han was killed off brought back and then killed off again so where was he first killed off at the
1: end of tokyo drift yes and then when he was he was brought back for four five and six which turned out to be prequels to tokyo drift and then at the end of six it catches up with the timeline of tokyo drift so it's the same death that oh they showed it twice, yes but- Effectively came off again. Like that's that. right. Yeah, that's all I meant by that. Okay. Yeah.
0: No, I I, th- I just thought I, I missed uh, something like what? Because I, I I got anytime I think of the the timeline shenanigans in this series, I get confused. <laughs> so I just yeah. try not to think about it too much.
1: And and the, with Michelle Rodriguez, they killed her off in the fourth one. Like she's not in Fast Five, and then they brought her back in Furious Six. Like no, she's not really dead. Here she is, you know. So okay. They've done it before.
0: And second question: <laughs> So you say that the tenth and final movie is going the route of like the Twilight Saga and Harry Potter? They're going to split the last story in two movies.
1: Apparently, that's what I've heard. I don't know if that's confirmed or for sure yet, and uh, or if it's just you know, Vin Diesel talk and Vin Diesel likes to talk. So, but that's I believe that to be the plan. Okay, plans have always changed. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Well, hey, whatever. If they can milk a milk this franchise as long as they can, why not? I just, I never understand, like, why don't they just call... It, in this particular case, why not just call it F10 and F11? Like, if you're taking a book, a movie based on a book, and splitting yeah. that in half, then, then yeah, call it the same title, just part one and part two. But uh, this just...
1: I wonder... If it has to do with contracts and money and yada yada yada, if there're legal reasons or you know what I mean, like you see that with like, uh, remember was it that Sopranos did it first, where it's like season six part one, season six part two, and Entourage did it. Some other shows have done it, and that's just to keep the actors at the same pay grade so they don't ask for a raise in between seasons or something like that. Okay.
0: Oh, hey, you mentioned so the- I don't
1: know. So they might have a ten. Vin Diesel might have, like, a 10-movie deal, and they want to get 11 movies out of it, but if they go to an 11th movie, they got to give them, like, 50% of the profits or something. Okay.
0: Hey, and you mentioned The Sopranos. Uh, the trailer arrived a couple of weeks ago for The Many Saints of Newark. That's The Sopranos prequel film that is going to be released in October. It looks pretty cool. So, and speaking of movies, Jeff went to see F9 at the drive-in, but finally... We can go to the movie theater. This show, The Couch Potatoes, airs across much of Canada. We are in Winnipeg, and our movie theaters are opening this weekend, finally, as Manitoba enters phase two of its reopening plan. They open on Saturday, July 17th at 50% capacity for the fully vaccinated, i.e. no vaccine, no movie for you, and with those movie theaters set to reopen, Landmark Cinemas president Bill Walker wonders why they got to follow that fully vaccinated
1: rule. So you can walk into the grocery store, you can walk into restaurants without proving that you're vaccinated. That why when you when you look at the the attributes of a movie theater, what is it that Manitoba knows from a public health perspective that these other provinces have not identified as to why theaters are a risk? Because frankly, for us, we just we just haven't seen it.
0: Now, over in Ontario, movie theatres are back in business too this weekend as the province moves into step three of reopening. But strict capacity limits have sent a chill through exhibitors' hopes of drawing the big crowds for the latest blockbusters. Canadian Press says cinemas can operate at a maximum capacity of 50% inside each auditorium and a cap of 1,000 people within the entire building. Ellis Jacob is chief executive of the country's largest movie company cineplex and he says it's those overarching capacity limits that he considers unfair as they put all theaters no matter the size under the same restrictions smaller cinemas with fewer fewer screens for instance will need to follow the same guidelines as megaplexes that often have more than 20 which could mean cineplex will be forced to turn away moviegoers at some of its bigger locations Jacob also says he anticipates the summer will be characterized by pent-up demand similar to what he's observed in other reopened Canadian markets. Theaters in Ontario have been closed longer than anywhere else in North America with locations in the greater Toronto area shuttered for nine months with titles like F9 and Black Widow from Marvel and then a movie we're going to tell you a little bit more about in our next segment, Space Jam, A New Legacy, and then later this month, G.I. Joe movie Snake Eyes. Uh, Jacob suggests some cinemas might near capacity limits for stage three. So much div- is different this year. U.S. theaters, they've been open for months. Distancing measures stateside have been relaxed. Vaccinated tick- ticket holders don't need masks at many of the big chains. But uh, all moviegoers here in, in Ontario, in Manitoba and in Ontario, they're going to be required to wear masks uh, during these next phases of reopening. Now, elsewhere in Canada... Alberta has no capacity limits on theaters. Saskatchewan will not have capacity as they go into their next stage of reopening this weekend. Quebec allows 250 people in an auditorium. Oh, pardon me, I think Saskatchewan, I think that they, pardon me, I think they moved into that stage of reopening this past The weekend. No, apparently it's this uh, upcoming Sunday. Never mind. So Quebec allows 250 people in an auditorium. BC's rules fall in line with Ontario's 50%. The Atlantic provinces vary in capacity from 50% to full capacity. Worth noting, by the way, Movie Theatres Association of Canada says, cinemas in Canada have welcomed more than 7 million guests during the pandemic and not a single case of COVID-19 has been traced back to the movies. So needless to say, Couch Potatoes are pumped to get back into a movie theater. And in a moment, we'll tell you about the big one that's out this weekend. You are listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brad, he's Jeff. We are the couch potatoes and with talking about movie theaters reopening in various parts of Canada this weekend, Ontario and Manitoba, there is a big new movie out this week that looks like it's going to be a slam dunk of a good time. NBA superstar LeBron James stars in Space Jam: A New Legacy. Welcome, King James.
1: I'm a cartoon. Ah, I'm shorter than Kevin Hart No, 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 no
0: Meh, what's up, Doc? Bugs, bring it here, man It's been 25 years since the first Space Jam came out starring Michael Jordan Let's head back to that for a minute When the world's greatest athlete, Michael Jordan
1: Teams up with the world's best-loved cartoon character, Bugs Bunny You won't believe your eyes Pardon me, Mr. Jordan, can I have your auto-de- auto audit- uh, Your John Hancock? What's going on here? We need your help! You heard of the Dream Team? Well, we're the Mean Team! Ready? Yeah! Duck! Yeah? You kick it in here, you go to the hole,
0: and dominate! We own defense! Oh, yeah. Whoa, ho, ho. I don't play defense.
1: Warner Brothers presents... Jordan! Look. Oh.
0: Special delivery!
1: Together, they just might save the world. Space Jam. You've never seen anything like it. So, Air
0: Jordan and Hair Jordan. In that one, the Looney Tunes recruited Jordan to help them win a basketball game against a group of aliens who intend to enslave them as attractions for their theme park. That movie also yielded one of the best rap songs of the 90s. Greetings, Earthlings. We have now taken over your radio. Yeah! Love this song. Still listen to it. One straight to the hole, you ain't got no game, I'm breaking you out the frame, coming down. Hit Em High by the Monstars, Busta Rhymes, Coolio, LL Cool J, Method Man, and Be Real. Now, the movie didn't get the best reviews, but it was a smash hit, making $250 million worldwide. It was the 10th biggest movie of 1996. So now we've got the sequel with King James and the Toon Squad only has one shot to win the biggest game of their lives against the Goon Squad. What brings you to Tone War, Doc? The computer dude kidnapped my son. Down. What in the Matrix
1: hell? Hey, What'd you do to my son? The only way you're getting your son back is if you and I play a little basketball. You want to play me in basketball? Mm. I, I need to, to, to assemble an elite team. You need a dream team. I'll take it from here. Sam, shoot the ball. Let's try that again, shall we?
0: So the movie co-stars Don Cheadle and Sonequa Martin-Green from The Walking Dead and Star Trek Discovery. Whereas that first movie was a straight mix of live action and animation, this one mixes in more styles. At times, James is made into a cartoon, and then the Looney Tunes get the full CG treatment when they're in a live action setting. Looks like great fun, looks super colorful. It, too, is not getting great reviews, but I don't think a lot of people are going to care about that. Uh, Because Space Jam... Such a massive legacy. Did you see that first Space
1: Jam movie, Jeff? I was too old to watch that when it was in theaters, but I saw it for the first time last year, and I wish I had that ninety minutes back. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs>
0: that was bad. Okay. Yeah, I that watched. Was not it. a good movie. I watched it of all places in uh, on a cell phone in a car. I was like, I was doing this volunteer thing uh, to drive people home. So it's called Operation Red Nose here, and it was just to, to drive people home after parties for at uh, during the holidays. And we were waiting for a call, so the person in the car had Space Jam on their phone, so we watched <laughs> Space Jam for 90 yeah. minutes on the phone. It was not the best experience, but I, I didn't mind the movie. So I'm kind of looking forward to seeing this. I think it looks like great fun. In a second, in a moment, we're going to tell you about the big movie that's coming to Prime. You're listening to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. I completely missed this news last week. This from MobileSyrup.com. The headline: A Quiet Place Two coming to Amazon Prime Video Canada in July.
1: I don't know why you came all the way up
0: here. There's nothing left. won't survive. We have to try. So that story, which came out last week, read Ontarians and Manitobans have finally been thrown a bone amid provincial theater closures. Amazon has announced that Paramount's A Quiet Place Part 2 will release on its Prime Video streaming service in Canada on July 13th, so that was this past Tuesday. David Friend, the Canadian Press's entertainment reporter, confirmed the news on Twitter. And I, the couch potatoes can confirm it by looking at our phones in our hand. I see it right now on Prime. The horror sequel opened in Canadian theaters on May 28th without any streaming option. So that meant those in Ontario and Manitoba where indoor theaters remained closed could only see the film at a drive-in. So now you have the option. You can watch it at home on Prime or if you're in Ontario or Manitoba, you can go see it on the big screen. I think I'm as much as I wanted to see this one on the big screen, I think it would be better in like a completely full theater, so I might just stick it out and watch it at home because I also want to see Black Widow and F9 on the big screen and maybe even Space Jam, a new legacy. So that's some great news. We also have to talk about this show, which wrapped up its first season on Wednesday... I know what this place is. The timekeepers have built quite the circus. And I see the clowns are playing their parts to perfection. Big metaphor guy. I love it. Makes you sound super smart. I am smart. I know. Loki, season one on Disney Plus, found Loki in the... He had been captured by the time variant authority. What do they call? What are they? Yeah, what, the time
1: what, variant authority. Okay, the TVA.
0: A TVA, and because he was messing with the space time continuum, uh, so they they came and got him out before he could cause too much too many problems. But over the course of the six episodes, he comes to learn that things are not quite as they seem. Loki, of course, is. Uh, Marvel villain. He was the bad guy on Marvel's The Avengers, but over the course of the movies, he's become one of the most popular characters in the series because he's just so cool. So, what did you think of the season finale?
1: Uh, Overall, it was a fun show, and again, that's, I think, thanks to Hiddleston's performance. Like you said, we've come to expect Loki to be a fun, entertaining character, and he was. And Owen Wilson, I thought, a good addition. They had a great chemistry. So, uh, the show was solid. The finale... Felt like it was mostly set up for things down the road, I guess. Uh, I didn't know who the guy that's introduced in that finale was supposed to be. It seems he's a pretty big deal in the Marvel Comics lore, and he's already been announced as a major cast member in one of the upcoming movies. But to me, it was just a guy, and I will say for an episode that seemed to be mostly exposition and explanations of what we'd just seen, that he was a great guy to deliver. It was much more entertaining than it shouldn't be it should have been I think uh, so so it was a weird finale in that way but it, I also found it pretty entertaining and uh, I I I dug it and I really dug the series as a whole yeah
0: I thought it was cool the the finale I found was weird because the fifth episode I thought was just thrilling the the fifth episode had this massive monster in it we won't go into the details and ruin it but it just it it, it was a big wide expansive set and it had all kinds of it had more lokis in it and then there's giant monster i just thought it was really cool and then the sixth episode was was really slow i felt like i was watching a play because the the person that loki and another per- character meet they just kind of sit there and have this like quentin tarantino esque like 15 20 minute conversation so on one hand it yeah. wasn't exciting but on another hand i still found it really compelling
1: I think what it was, was they realized that they were sort of in the same boat that, was it, The Matrix 2 is with The Architect, where it's like, because it's like a time travel show and all, it's just so, there's just so much going on that they need to explain. And they know that, uh, you know, The Matrix got raked over the coals for The Architect droning on in a monotone voice, even though you and I both like that scene. Yeah. So they they got this guy, to this crazy entertaining guy who's popping around and changing his his speaking style from sentence to sentence, he gets quiet and then he gets really loud and exciting and crazy. And then he goes back to talking like this for a little while. And so it just keeps you on your toes and it, it made it just, like I said, uh, you know, more, more entertaining than it had any right to be. It should have been boring, but it's just, again, the nature of a show about time travel is and multiverses and stuff is you've got to explain all this stuff. And that's, they, put it off until they got to the end. It was like, oh, now we've got like 20 minutes worth of explanations. We need to uh, dump on people.
0: Yeah, the actor's name is Jonathan Majors. He's been in a show called Lovecraft Country, and he was tremendous. He was a tremendous addition, and indeed, as you pointed out, Jeff, we are not or we're going to see much more of him. I was also happy to see at the end of the episode, it said Loki will be back for season two. Yep. So that's exciting because the first two shows were one-offs, right? WandaVision.
1: Yeah, and, I mean, uh, the Wanda- can't really come back because it sort of, you know, gave up the ghost at the end of that series, as, you know, the, with the little sitcom tricks they were playing in every episode. And and uh, Anthony Mackey's going on to Captain America movies, so that won't be back. So, yeah, Loki's the first thing we've seen that we can expect to see back on the small screen. And I like if they mix it up like that, that some shows will just be standalone miniseries and some will be continuing series.
0: So Loki, Disney Plus, it's a pretty cool show. Check it out. We're moving now from Disney Plus to Netflix. Back on July 2nd, Netflix kicked off a trilogy of films, releasing one a week for three weeks. The first one, Fear Street 1994.
1: Hello? Who is this? It's happening again.
0: So Fear Street is a series of books from R.L. Stein. The first book debuted in 1989, and there are dozens of books in the series, and over 80 million copies have been sold. These movies, based on the series, or at least inspired by the series, I don't know how closely they hold to the source material but the trilogy follows a nightmare through a town called shadyside and the town's sinister and supernatural history and then on july 9th we got fear street 1978 and on july 16th fear street 1666 there's no angry dead witch the only thing that made him go crazy is this town
1: the dude was wearing a halloween skull mask how is that not fun Guys, I think there's
0: someone in the woods. Of course there's someone in the woods. It wouldn't be a scary movie if there wasn't someone in the woods. So that clip was from 1994, so that's the one that came out on the second. So I decided to watch those two movies this past weekend, and then I'll watch the third one this weekend. So the first thing I'll say about Fear Street 1994, fabulous music. Like this was, uh, if you're looking to put together a 1990s playlist, it's tremendous. I mean, Bush Machine Head was in there. I got... uh, Killing Me Softly, although the original, not the one by the Fugees. There was some White Town, some Cowboy Junkies, Snoop Dogg, you heard White Zombie in the uh, the clip there. Uh, Insane in the Brain by Cypress Hill, and then you had some Radiohead, a uh, song by Portis Head called Sour Times, which I haven't heard probably in 20 years, so that was a nice little trip down memory lane. Prodigy Firestarter, so the yeah, the music is good, but uh, It's you know. I should also point out, like, even though these books are the movies are based on books that were for younger people, these are these movies are not for kids. The the violence when it these movies are violent, holy smokes! Like, I was kind of surprised. I think it's because there wasn't a lot of violence in the movies, but then when it did get violent, it was almost shockingly violent. And I'm not criticizing it for that. Fans of slasher movies are gonna. Enjoy what they see here because some of the kills were were just, just brutal. Um there's also uh like the one of the, the deaths in that first movie was just like I actually screamed out loud, like oh my god! Because I'd never seen anything like that. And I've seen a lot of slasher movies. So the first movie was fun, and then the second movie, Fear Street
1: 1978. Run one way or another. You're gonna die tonight. There it is. It's not just a diary. It's a map. I'm not letting you die. My sister's still out there. Go, guys, go, go. We can end this.
0: So the second movie has a 90% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. The first one, 80%. And I think I would agree with that overall assessment. I liked the second one better than the first one. Not to say the first one was bad, but I think the first one was too caught up in the 90s-ness of it. Like, there's one point where they, they played three songs in 30 seconds for no apparent reason. They had Machine Head go into Damn, I Wish I Was Your Lover by... Sophie B Hawkins or whatever her name was. And then, and then into that Sour Time song by Portishead. I think of, as I think about it now is it, it was meant to, to be a storytelling method, but it just, it seemed so forced. Uh, so I found that a little bit distracting. Whereas the second one just told, uh, told its story. And like I said, just the first one was violent. The second one was even more violent. So watch out for that. If you, try to turn these on and then this weekend it's the conclusion of the trilogy takes us back to the origin of the curse fear street 1666 so i'm looking forward to that and i can touch base with you next week on whether or not it was a satisfying conclusion to the trilogy and jeff i know you don't like stuff that will make you squeamish
1: so don't watch any of these movies I will be hard-passing on these. Lots of
0: comedy in these movies, too, but the scary stuff can be pretty scary. So uh, if you like scary-slash-funny movies and slasher movies, I think it's worth checking out on Netflix. In a moment, Jeff's going to tell you about two great shows that he has decided to revisit. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes.
1: Welcome back to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff, he's Brett, and I finished re-watching one of my favorite sitcoms this week and started re-watching another. I finished watching Happy Endings. I'm going to the Rom-Com-Con. <gasps> this weekend, I am going to be rubbing elbows with the Who's Who of Romantic Comedy. It's going to be awesome, all right? Are you sure you don't want to go, Brad?
0: Sorry, money's tight. I had to cut back on all my cons. Rom-Com-Con, Chaka-Con-Con, Bon-Con james bond con
1: i wish they had conventions for stuff i like like miss saigon con or butter pecan con or breaking into song con Whoa. that didn't exactly work con
0: Ooh, me. how about a con for the drunk guy that's about to get into a fight oh it's on con Oh, <laughs> uh-huh. what about a con for the guy that's about to get into a
1: fight with that drunk guy oh it's on con oh it's on con like donkey Kong con <laughs> What about one for the girl who's throwing the party, doesn't want those guys to mess up her parents' house, so damn it, Ron, why can't you and John fight out in the lawn crowd? Oh! oh you know, I've got one, too. Hey, get in on this! Shut the f- up. Con? Happy Endings is a hangout comedy that was on in the early 2010s on ABC. Six friends in Chicago who got in wacky adventures. It was a fast-paced show, cramming more jokes into each minute than most shows could fit in an episode. It never had a big audience and was always on the verge of being canceled. And after three seasons, it was. Uh, Zachary Knight, who plays Dave, is currently on the new version of Magnum P.I. That was a weird adjustment for me when that show started because he was in... plays an ex-marine who gets in gunfights, but he's also the comic relief a lot of the time. And then I had to readjust re-watching Happy Endings because Dave is, like all of them, a ridiculous human being. Now, I was going to recommend everyone start watching Happy Endings on Prime Video, but it seems it'll actually be leaving Prime this Wednesday, so I'll actually recommend you don't start it because it's frustrating to start something and then have it ripped away from you like that. The good news is it'll likely turn up somewhere else or even back on Prime in a matter of months. It's a short watch too. If you are really dedicated, you could finish it by Wednesday. It's just uh, three seasons. I watched them in about two weeks. 57 episodes of 22 minutes apiece for a total of about 20 hours, so that's doable, but why would you waste your summer like that? After I did wrap that up, I decided to dive into another favorite Brett, one that's been on for much, much longer, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. You got the script that I wrote? Grab the script. I have been mean to speak to you about this. I can't read these words. They're, They're not good. in the right
0: order. It's good. I'm not reading this. I'm gonna no, 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 I, no, no, I, no, no, please. <sighs> read the script once. Okay, you want me to read the script? Yes. All right. And action. I'll read the words you wrote. Hello, fellow American. This you should vote me. I leave power. Good. Thank you. Thank you. If you vote me, I'm hot. What? Taxes. They'll be lower. Son, The Democratic vote for me is right thing to do, Philadelphia. So do.
1: This doesn't make any sense. All right, well then, just say whatever you want. Like Happy Endings, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia is a hangout comedy with a bunch of friends, but said in Philadelphia. And these guys are even crazier than that Happy Endings crew. They own a CD bar and are a bunch of real lowlifes, the ease with which they will lie, cheat, and steal, stab each other in the back. It's just terrifying and always very funny. It's been on since 2005. 14 seasons and counting. I believe it's renewed through season 16 at this point. I assume it'll return to FX as soon as it can. There are eight seasons on Disney Plus right now. I haven't seen any of the old ones in a very long time, so I fired it up from the beginning this week. I was kind of shocked when I realized how long ago it began. The first few seasons are not even in widescreen, and they're talking on flip phones. There's a reference in an early episode to a stack of photographs because social media wasn't a thing yet and no one was posting pictures online. That's how long ago it started and it's still going. While it does uh, hold up better than you would expect, there are some things that have not aged well, jokes they made back then they wouldn't make now. Weirdly enough, though, for as crass a show as this is, and it is incredibly foul, even though they do not use a lot of very strong curse words, it's also a show that's made a lot of smart social commentary and they've really actually leaned into doing just that as the years have gone along. They'll take a hot-button issue and figure out how Five morons would come at it, in, and it's always hilarious. Um, aside from the five leads, played by Rob McElhenney, Charlie Day, Caitlin Olsen, Glenn Howerton, and Danny DeVito, they've put together a very deep bench of hilarious secondary characters over the years, as any self-respecting, long-running show would. It's been you know, fun in the early stages of my rewatch, seeing some of them introduced. Most of the seasons are 10 to 13 episodes. The first season's only seven episodes, and it takes a while to crank up, find its footing, so like a lot of sitcoms, the earliest episodes aren't the best but once it gets going, it keeps the pedal floored and somehow still continues, it's been very consistent I highly recommend It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, 8 of the 14 seasons available now on Disney Plus and I'm sure more will follow at some point, Brett.
0: All right, Jeff Braun, that's all the time we've got, I'm Brad, he's Jeff, we are the Couch Potatoes, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast if you're listening to this on the radio and remember, if it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother